Before we get started, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the Steady Beat Survival Guide. In this free ebook, I share my top 20 favorite songs and chants for Steady Beat in the elementary music classroom. To grab your free copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash steadybeat. Again, that's thatmusicteacher.com slash steadybeat. You can also check out the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode now. You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarbett, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher and the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Hello and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am incredibly excited for this conversation on play-based curriculum and doing things in a way that isn't necessarily looking like learning, but there's so much learning going on with Tina Arenas. Tina, I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Bryson. So before we get too far into the weeds, I would love for you to briefly describe who you are, kind of what is your background in education, where you are in the world, um, so my audience can kind of get to know you a little bit before we dive into today's topic. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. Um, so I've been in Oklahoma most of my life, or for the first half of my life. Um, I lived in Oklahoma City, and then in fourth grade, we moved to a small town called Wagner, and in fifth grade, I joined band and learned how to play the trumpet, and so fast forward many, many years, um, band and playing trumpet became so much a part of my life that I ended up getting my bachelor's and master's um, in music education, and um, probably like a lot of people, at least when I hear their stories, you know, you thought you were going to be a band director or a choir director. <laughs> um, I mean, at least that's where my path was headed in um, undergrad. But I got bit by the elementary music bug and kind of never looked back. Um, so I had an experience, um, you know, during those practicum classes. It's not student teaching, but you go out and... Um, observe different classes. And um, there was this one particular class that um, we were observing and all the kids were singing and like crawling around like cats. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's what I want to be doing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I just kind of forged that path. And um, at the end of my university studies, um, I did a semester of study abroad and music and Italian language in Milan. And then I came back and I student taught. And um, that's important because um, that travel bug was also hitting me at that time. Um, and so after I graduated um, with my undergrad, um, moved to Dallas, Fort Worth area, and taught K through five music for 11 years. So after a while, I met my husband, who was also an elementary music teacher and um, percussionist. We met while taking a West African drum and dance class. And so he was drumming and I was dancing and, you know, we just hit it off. And so um, we got married. And then after about 11 years of teaching in Texas, we moved to Dubai, which is where we're at now. 
and um, I am beginning, we're both beginning our 11th year teaching music um, in Dubai. So um, since moving here, I've only focused on three to six-year-olds. So I went from a big shift from a sort of a general K through five music program to more of a early childhood focus. So that's what kind of a, me. What a journey. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> and I'm sitting here saying, all right, Bryson, you can't move to Dubai. You have a house, you have a mortgage, you can't just leave. Because uh, that sounds like such an amazing experience, especially being able to do that with with your partner that also is, you know, kind of in the same boat as you and, and ready to kind of go through that journey of teaching music um, abroad. And I have to, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I love having conversation with music teachers because while we all come from different areas, the amount of times I've heard, and this is my own story as well, of people going into undergrad expecting to be high school band or choir directors, and then they get into the elementary classroom and they're like, what is this? I need more. And then they never look back. And that is 100% my journey. And I love how, even though you are teaching in Dubai right now, and I'm teaching here in Columbus, Ohio, our journeys of where we started were so similar. And I love, um, I love that, you know, everyone just, one of those, my favorite things that pops around on the internet every once in a while is that post about someone who's getting observed and their, their principal comes in and there's a bunch of kindergartners that are hopping around like frogs saying the word toast. And I don't know if you've <laughs> seen that, but it is the epitome of what happens in our classroom because it looks like absolute chaos but there's so much music making so much joy and I can't wait to dive into yeah, this Yeah, that's, that's such an accurate description. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing, like when we moved, I was also pregnant. So add that to the mix. Um, and now we have a, a just turned 10 year old. So <laughs> um, it has been quite the journey um, just moving over here. But you're right, like it, it's so cool to feel connected you know the music ed community is just like that right like um some of our journeys are so similar that it's nice to feel that even if you're oceans apart so before we get deep and I, i'll be fully transparent this is not on the outline but i think it's important i think it'd be <laughs> give you some good context for those listening um other than like you you said you had a master's and a bachelor's in music ed have you done any um like Kodai training or training what's kind of your your background in you know that kind of specific pedagogy training ah uh, yeah so i was really fortunate and i feel really grateful um that i student taught with someone who was um, Kodai certified, and um, I had in my undergrad a lot of exposure to that. So that was my first, I guess, sort of outside of undergrad training, you know, when you get into specific, like you said, Kodai and ORF training. Um, that was my first exposure was um, going and, and doing Kodai levels. And so I was really fortunate to start that actually the summer before I taught uh, my first year of teaching, um, and I had a really good foundation of my student teaching. Um, so I completed my Kodai levels, and then a couple years down the road, I went and completed my ORF levels, um, and then I've had a lot of um, movement-specific training. Um, if you know and Green Gilbert's work, and also with like ORF master classes and things like that. So that's a little bit of my background besides typical university training. 
Okay, so I, I just thought that would be really good um, background information, but I know that there are probably some people that are going, oh, another Kodai episode, or oh, another Orf episode. <laughs> so I want to, like, push back. We're not going to, like, super go into, you know, we have to do it this way or that way. Yeah. The goal of this episode is to talk about the, some of the foundations of good teaching, which, in my mm-hmm. opinion, and I have a feeling we're going to share some of these, is that play-based curriculum. So if you're not super into one way or the other, don't feel like this is going to be pushing anyway. My goal of this episode is for us to just ch- chat about play-based curriculum and find the way that it works for you and your students. And that's so, perfect. That's perfect because I, like, I don't really, I don't label myself as such. I mean, I've been teaching, this is my 22nd year in 2022. <laughs> and um, I just, I don't really label myself in that way anyways anymore. Um, I find it very freeing to of course, you've heard like I'm inspired by um, these philosophies and approaches, um, and I'm very grateful for all of them. But yeah, I don't get stuck in the in the box for sure. So let's talk about if you know if you don't find yourself one way or the other, can you give us a one or two sentence summary of what is your philosophy on music education? Okay, this one stumped me a little bit. You know. Because you're you're always teaching every day and and you have to stop and really think about that. So I just I thought about something that comes from my heart. Um, I feel like for me, at the end of the day, when I'm in front or with the children every day, it's about sharing the joy and the love of music making and community with others and creating those musical experiences that that are accessible for everybody. I, I I can't agree more. I think that, you know, would I love my students to be able to leave my classroom knowing how to read and write music? Yes. But honestly, even if not a single one of them left my room knowing how to read music, there's so much musicality and musical love and understanding that can happen that I think when we focus on the joy, we can focus on those lifelong music makers so that even if they never do anything professionally or even amateurly with music, they can at least appreciate the music that's always going to be around them. Exactly. So we've been throwing around the term of play-based curriculum a lot. And I know this is one of those things, if you Googled play-based curriculum, you could be stuck in Google forever. So <laughs> in your definition, at least, what do you, let's kind of come up with a working definition of what is a play-based curriculum. Um, so I'm thinking of it as I have a lot of descriptors. Um, I'm thinking play-based curriculum is about being child-centered, but most importantly, human-centered, because we all need play in our lives. Um, it's 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 a curriculum or or a way of approaching learning that's that's nurturing, that celebrates and respects the child. It values the diversity of the community. Um, It's where children have a choice and voice in their learning. There's ownership. Um, I I know I'm listing a lot of bullet points, but that's kind of how my mind thinks about it. Um, It's enjoyable. It's engaging. Um, It's not only about like exploring, but to me, the word experimenting is coming up in my head a lot these days Um, and and taking the time and space to try new things. and, and valuing the process of learning rather than the product, you know, rather than I got to prepare for the concert. <laughs> um, it, it's more about just in the depths, the everyday um, things that happen. So 
I feel like ultimately it's to incorporate something that feels play-based um, is also developing a playful mindset and approaching learning through a playful lens so that the teacher planning is constantly evolving and it's just reflective of the students and the community that they teach. Okay, you... That's a big definition. <laughs> I, I'm over here, like, trying to, like, scribble things down because I'll be honest, I'm trying to do more, like, creating quotes from the episodes. And I'm just like, there is so much gold in that. And I think that when we boil down pretty much everything you just said, it's making sure that students want to be there, feel like they are welcomed to be there, and feel like that them being there and being being in that music making is not passive. It is part of the creation. Mm -hmm. Their music making journey in that room would be different if they weren't there. And I love just how eloquently you put it in a way that is incredibly student-centered, in a way that is not just saying, I use student-centered this, that, and the other thing for our evaluations. It truly is putting the student at the center of our curriculum. Exactly. Yeah. So what does a play-based education look like? And I know this might look like, you know, look different depending on the age, depending on, you know, so many other things, but what can at least in, in some ways a play-based curriculum look like? Um, so I thought of analogy or, or like an example that kind of popped in my mind um, that doesn't really, I think, have to do with the classroom itself, but just a way of, of looking at it and approaching it. So do you know, like on social media, those videos that will pop up and they're dance-based videos and it, it has like um, two columns and it's, it's like dance to the rhythm and dance to the lyrics. Have you seen Yes, those? I love those. <laughs> so when I see that, I'm like, that is so playful. That's so play-based. Um, and I mean, think about the meat in that as well, like the learning happening in that. So I don't know. I just, I when I think of it, I think of things like that. And um, because sometimes we can get even really academic when we're thinking about play-based play learning um, because we're constantly having to, you know, um, defend it, right? But when you can take everyday things like you see on the internet and make them applicable, like, I don't know, it just it made me think of that. So anyways, I kind of got off on a tangent there. But um, I think that um, play-based education, it looks like it can be messy. Um, the kids are doing more of the talking than the adult in the room. Um, and even though there's like enjoyment and um, fun, that it's also very intentional and purposeful behind what's happening. Um, and ultimately where there's an environment where children can explore what their musical expression and creativity can be. Um, so I'm thinking of examples. <clears throat> so I noticed when, for example, as a learner myself, um, when I participated in adult trainings, like the movement classes or Kodai or ORF training, I feel like I noticed the teachers who seemed really masterful at arriving at what that should feel like is um, they made you feel like you were the owner of your learning and, and what, you, what you were doing and what you created. 
And they were really masterful about asking questions without judgment. So even if something doesn't feel fun, for example, like I'm thinking of Kodai example, sing and plays, that's not fun for me. I find it excruciating. (laughs) But when the teacher approached it in this playful way and was pushing me without judgment or getting me to think about it in different ways, then it became playful. Um, Or I remember in my master's class where I had to take um, musicianship again, and I hadn't taken a musicianship class in years. I was mortified. Um, And then we did like a sort of Dal Crows inspired, pass the ball around, you know, when the music changes, you know, recognizing form, things like that. And it was very playful. And so I, I didn't feel, you know, on the spot and, oh, gosh, am I going to get something wrong? And, oh, you're judging all my insecurities out in the open. Um, so I think when we those are just my examples of like how I felt as a learner. But when I'm thinking as a teacher, what play based education could look like, it's, for example, when you're creating patterns, you know, can you do it with this or that with movement? Can you make a high shape? Can you make a low shape? What would happen if you connected your shape to a partner? Um, And so when you start asking a lot of questions and getting the students to answer those questions and actually use their answers, I think that's when the playfulness and the willingness to try new things comes out of that. And I feel like some of my most successful or like creative lessons have come just out of being able to ask questions and seeing where that takes us. Okay. So I have so many different ways that I want to take that response (laughs) because again, full of nuggets of just absolute gold. Um, But you bring up a really good point. A lot of times when we think of play-based curriculum, we instantly think of early childhood because it's used a lot in, in early childhood and rightfully so. But that doesn't mean it's not for other, you know, ages. So I'll kind of frame this question. Do you think there are any ages or any situations where you can't make something necessarily play-based in some way? Oh, I think it can always be like that. I mean, hello, we're teachers. I mean, we've all been in meetings where, you know, it's the end of the day and it's really boring. Um, I don't think that there's a limit to age of um, this kind of thinking, you know, um, because we're humans. And, and like I said before, I mean, all humans need play. And I don't know if you know this, but the UN, um, I don't know, several years back, I can't remember the year, but they even declared that it's a human right to play. Um, so that really struck me that, that, there's just no limit to that. We all deserve that as as humans. That's what we crave. I just, so um, full transparency right now, I'm in the middle of completely rebuilding my signature program, General Music Jumpstart. Um, and it's been, it's been a few years since I've really taken it down to the studs. And I'm just trying to figure out a way to make it more play-based, to gamify it, to make it so it's not just another thing where you put it on in the background while you're folding papers or laminating things. And it's something that is able to you know, kind of give you the information you need, help you with those skills, but not be another boring PD session. Because like you said, we have had, we have sat through so many PDs where it's like, do this, do this, 
do this. And so many times what they're telling us to do is the exact opposite of how they're teaching us. <laughs> yeah. um, so without getting too far on it on a tangent, um, play-based education, I truly believe play-based can be applied in pretty much any setting, pretty much any age. And it just first starts by knowing what can we do to make it easy? What can we do to make it fun, to engage our students, whatever the age be? Right. So let's talk about what people get wrong about play-based education. What are some myths that you might have heard, you may, maybe even other teachers you've heard say about play-based learning? And, you know, what can we say, you know, if, if we're faced with those myths ourselves, how can we kind of disprove them? Um, so I thought about a couple of analogies, like when you hear, I do Kodai because my students use hand signs, or I do ORF because my students play instruments. And in thinking about play, it could be, I do play-based education because my students do centers. Um, but if those centers happen to be all teacher-directed experiences, it's not really play-based. Um, I feel like if, if there aren't elements in the experience itself of like choice, inquiry, co-decision co making, it's not, you can't really call it play-based. And if there's like, I mean, of course, you're going to have some sort of outcome at the end, but you have to be open to what that outcome turns out to be. Um, so I think if there's a rigid sort of, this is the response that I want, that's not truly play-based, if that makes sense. So um, I think those experiences that we try to create, um, either you know, for our students or with our students, um, they have to have that element of risk-taking and experimentation within what they're doing. And like you said before, it's not that you know, these learning about musical concepts and applying them aren't important. It's just again, at the core, as humans, you know, we have to question what do we need and crave. And so if that need is not being met, if we're not being able to express ourselves through these certain experiences, it's not really play-based, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I think, again, it just kind of boils down to what are the foundations of good teaching and how can we apply them in whatever scenario we're in, you know, whatever our background training might be in, and just doing it in a student-centered way. So I know personally, I've, you know, thankfully I've had some great administrators that when they walk by my room and they see the chaos that is inside, they at least ask questions. Um, but the reality is in a play-based curriculum, it can honestly, obviously look from the outside completely different from what we know. You know, I've never been one to like to post my learning objectives and things like that because I don't, you know, well, that's a whole other thing. But how can we make sure that our stakeholders, so maybe administrators, community, other teachers, how can we help them understand the value of a play-based curriculum when it might just look like we're sitting and playing games all day and doing things that aren't necessarily high-level teaching when in reality it is? Mm -hmm. Well, I was thinking about that quote. It's the one that's used all the time. Tell me, I forget. Show me, I remember. Involve me, I understand. So it's kind of the same for our administrators. You know, as adults, sometimes we've forgotten how to play ourselves. So that's the first thing um, that's hard to identify 
um, a lot of times because like we we're not doing it ourselves. So how can we see it in children and and recognize that? Um, so I think you know play and and having these play based experiences all about igniting our senses. So that being said your administrator has to, or you have to invite them in to involve themselves, um, their whole full selves into the play. So um, I think it's about educating and engaging them in that play and whether that's showing uh, through just showing them through like a a quick observation um, or having them participate and then also explaining um, what the students are experiencing. Um, cause I think sometimes we do a lot of assuming, right. And we might think, well, I don't get it. Why does, why doesn't my principal get that? I'm, that I'm doing the right thing that I'm playing. Well, maybe they need educating and, and that's not a bad thing. It's, it's not like we have to be on the defense. It's just, okay, well, I'm going to educate you, um, on this by involving you and, and having you participate. So, um, I think those sort of day-to-day things where they can come in and participate are great. And then taking things like folk dances at the end of a concert or having a folk dance night or a singing game theme night for your program, those are really great ways to infuse play-based learning into the larger community and, and getting your admin on board with that. And I think it's also important not only just to show them the stuff, you know, the games and the songs and the dances, but also to do your research and explain why play is important for brain development. And when we play and use that playful mindset, I mean, the learning that happens through that lens will actually stick and be able to be transferred to other learning as well. There's definitely a lot to unpack when it comes to this topic, Um, because for one thing, with the the trending of education just in general, unfortunately, a lot of it is is really focusing on reading and math. And because there's so much focus and so much high stakes pressure on it, you know, districts are buying curriculums for it, you you know, changing curriculums multiple times a year, you know, trying all these different things. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, because it's definitely both in certain points, a lot of times as music teachers, we have a lot of creative flexibility in our curriculums that other subject areas might not necessarily have. So sometimes it looks different because it's not what people are used to seeing. You know, it's not, we're not used to seeing learning happen, happening through this play-based realm. And by showing, whether it be just inviting teachers in, you know, say, hey, come, will you come, you know, feel free to come back the last two minutes of your, of your, you know, your planning. We would love for you to show you what we're doing. Or one of my favorite things I do, which is absolute chaos, but in the best of ways, is having a kindergarten informants night where I bring in the community. They can watch their kindergartners and they go through a 40 minute class. Um, All the kindergartners are up together going through what they would normally do in a class. It is absolute chaos but we're working through it. We're talking, you know, every once in a while I'm talking, say, all right, so we're doing this because X, Y, Z. And it's a really educational way to say, hey, here's what we're doing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really cool. It sounds awesome, but we're also moving towards an objective. And I think coming off of it from a place of, hey, you know, I'm just going to show us what we're doing and, you know, take it or leave it. This is, this is what I believe in. This is what I think is best for kids. And here's why I believe that. And here's the research that supports it. And, you know, it's not something you're going to change all at once, but just being open and 
being coming at it from a place of here, I'm here to help you understand what happens in my classroom, not necessarily to justify why I do it, but just so that it's there if you want to know, can be a way that can not only allow us to share that, but also not get us so stuck in the comparison trap of trying to you know, make sure that people know we work hard because we know we work hard. Um, and if we get too stuck in that, then, you know, it can be its own, its own negative thing in, in its own sense. Yeah, exactly. I think, excuse me, I think we, it's also like in our tone, you know, if you have an invitational tone to, you know, invite someone into that, into your world, you know, um, I think, they're either going to want to be a part of it or, you know, if, if our tone is, is like, well, you know, only I know because only I am the music teacher and I, you know, it's like trying to bridge that gap and trying to sort of, um, you know, learn the language, you know? And so that, like you said, you know, Hey, pop in, we'd love to have you come in and visit our classroom. And um, we have such a unique, I feel like role in, in the school um, I mean, I love, I think I just love what I do every day. Um, and I feel so grateful even after all these years of teaching. I mean, it hasn't always been easy. <laughs> there are those really challenging days, but how awesome is it that we get to teach in this way as well? So I think you're right. Like the more that we can invite um, our colleagues in and and share this with our you know families and caregivers and um, the, I, I think the more inviting that we can be um, people get on board and they don't even question it now I'm sugarcoating that I know I mean there are situations that are sometimes challenging but you know all those examples are great examples to get um, to get your community educated and involved. And I think it's also important for us to realize, yes, it is a lot easier for us to feel confident in going into work and doing all the fun things we do and, you know, creating that high quality education experiences when other people are on board. But to a certain point, it doesn't really matter. You know, if the kids are learning in the best way that you think is best for them in that moment, that's what matters. Obviously, right do what you need to do to keep your job, <laughs> do what you need to do to pass your evaluations, but realize that you, whether you feel like it or not, and whether other people agree with this or not, you are the content expert in that classroom. And you are the one that is in the woods, you know, in, in the thick of it with those students and understanding what they need, where you're going, and to give yourself a little bit of a pep talk sometimes when you need it. And sometimes say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this right, you know, and realizing that not everyone's going to agree with you and that's okay. Exactly. And um, I know that, you know, Jessica Peresta, and I'm just referencing her here because she talks a lot about trusting your intuition. And um, that's really stuck with me because even after, you know, even people like me that have been teaching for a long time, I mean, we can get to the point where we, we, still go through that self-doubt, you know, that doesn't go away um, magically. And I think that just alluding to what you're saying, I mean, just trusting yourself and trusting your intuition and trusting your relationship um, with, with you, the, the children go, it just goes so far. 
So, I, again, I, we could take this interview in a thousand different ways forever and never stop. Um, <laughs> but I would love to create some practical ways for teachers to implement more play in their lessons. So what are some things that a teacher can do in the next week or so to start implementing more play into their classrooms? Um, I would say um, maybe focus on one area. Um, let's say my, you know, let's say your students are having trouble transitioning from their dot spots to a circle. Okay. And it's just like, every time it happens, it's chaos. How can you turn it into a game or how can you ask the students for their suggestions? Um, I'm thinking of teachers that might need um, creative ways to think about movement, um, even with like study beat. Are they always keeping the study beat in their lap or have you asked them, where else could we tap the study beat? You know, like finding those things and your, those little things in your lesson that you can just change one thing to make it more playful. Um, <clears throat> something that I really love to do uh, is like an example with props. So I, I'm a big proponent of letting them really explore materials before I give them a job to do with it. Um, so for example, if you have a scarf, um, maybe you can give them one idea and then ask what else could we do or who else could show us a way to explore the scarf. Um, and again, going back to the questions, um, letting them come up with the parameters and then suddenly all of the, the ideas have come from the students. So those are just some little ways you know, I think you could sort of look at your lesson and think, well, where does it feel like I'm doing all the work? You know, where, where is one thing, at least in the lesson outline that I have, where the kids could do more of the creating? I, again, I think it's just, there's simple steps when you think about it. I mean, just that thing of, all right, I want the students to keep a beat. Does it need to be on their knees? Not really. You know, right. and some, I mean, just watching the joy sometimes we're like, oh, where else can we keep it? And sometimes, oh, we're going to keep it on our cheeks. Okay. And just watching them, you know, try to figure that out. And you're, you know, oh, we're going to keep it on our belly. And they, you know, they think it's hilarious. And again, yeah. you're still having, the goal is not keeping the beat on your knees. The goal is, can they keep the beat? Exactly. And it's one, it's, it's some of those things where sometimes it's just a small switch in the way we present our lessons that allows them to be more creative. For, for them to think about things in a different way and for them to be able to access the curriculum in such a unique way that I think really, like you said, helps them remember it, helps them stick and really helps them get attached to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, even like when, when I'm thinking about my kindergarten students and we're just singing at the beginning of a lesson, you know, um, well, let's stand up and try it. You know, I mean, even that changes the whole energy of the room. You know, can you sing the song with your eyes closed? I mean, just something to get them sensing the music in a different way. I love this interview is amazing. I definitely think we need to have like a second one. Just keep talking, check like all the, like, again, so many different ways we could go with this. Um, but I like to try to keep things a little bit short and sweet with some actionable <laughs> things. Um, so I know there are definitely going to be people that are going to want to reach out to you. So can you let us know, Tina, where else we can find you online? How can we connect you with you and how can we continue this conversation? 
So you can find me uh, at Pop Up for Play. Um, I have a website and then also on Instagram and Facebook by the same name. And also on our website, if you go and want to grab a freebie, it's all about vocal exploration ideas using picture books. So I'd love to connect. All right, Tina, I will be sure to put all of those links into the show notes so people can continue this conversation about play-based curriculum. Um, From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I hope that my listeners find it as useful as I did. I'm over here scribbling notes like crazy. Uh, Tina, thank you so much for taking some time out of your night to chat with me. Thank you.